So we're in full swing now of 21 days. We'll be wrapping it up next Sunday and, um, you know, Pastor Sam will be here. But uh, I'm just curious, how many of you are participating in the fast at some level? Different areas of your life. You know, this is what I say is that it doesn't matter what you do. It's between you and the Lord. Just do something, you know, and uh, just do something wherever you're at. And, uh, and I believe the Lord's going to meet you right at the place of obedience. And it's not just what do I think I can do? You need to ask the Lord. You say, well, I hadn't been doing nothing. You got a week, jump on, you know, I mean, it's not too late, but ask the Lord and say, Hey, what would you have me to lay aside? Because this is what I know. Every act of obedience, God blesses. Doesn't matter. Every act of obedience, God will bless. And so I got another question. How many of you, this is the first time that you ever participated in a fast? A few people. That's cool. So it's something that's good for me to know. And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, that it's an awesome thing that we would, what, do this together as a church family. Uh, you know, it's probably one of the spiritual disciplines that probably gets talked about the least in church because it's the one that most people just don't want to do. And, uh, you know, but yet I shared a couple weeks ago that Jesus talked about it. It says, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. It wasn't if, it was when. And uh, so this means that Jesus has an expectation that, what, we were going to do this. And, uh, and, and so, but I just want to encourage you. Finish strong. Finish strong. Don't, don't pull back. Don't back off. Is it just to continue to press through? And you're like, yeah, but I don't sense anything. This is, I've been doing this for over 10 years. Okay? And this is what I can tell you. Is that rarely have I seen anything happen during my fast. But it would be a month or two or sometimes six. Sometimes it would be later in the year. And something would happen. And I don't know how to explain it. But I just knew that I knew that I knew. It's like the Holy Spirit just said, hey, this, you actually... Made this happen back in January. And so don't get discouraged saying, well, I don't, I don't feel any closer to God. I don't feel like things are changing. I've been praying. I've been seeking. I've been asking. It just seems like nothing's happening. Don't get frustrated and throw in the towel. Okay? Just what? Continue doing what you're doing. Why? Because it's honoring to God and God will honor what you're doing. He will honor your sacrifice. And so it's important. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't been here the last three weeks, I would encourage you to jump online and watch those messages. You can also do that through the Church Center app as well. And so you can do that. And I know that they'll challenge. I know they will be challenging, but I also know that they will be a blessing to your life. And so, uh, you know, throughout this series, we've been sharing with you about the importance of order and priorities. And really, that's why we call it first. It's keeping first things first. And, and really, that first thing is our relationship with God. Why? Because he will not be second. I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Like, there will be no other God before me. God says, I, I won't be. I'm either first or I'm not. Like, I mean, I've got to be the priority. Why? Because whatever is first will influence everything else. So as I was talking about a few minutes ago, like if money's first, guess what? Everything in your life is going to be a target and really be aimed towards getting that. Well, that's not a, a good ultimate. It's not ultimate. I'll say it that way. It's really not. And so we want to make sure that we are what? We're living our lives really by priority or by order. Because, you know, and I've shared this before, but, you know, I know for me, and I've shared this, but a number of years ago, I was really struggling trying to find balance in my life. I'm just like, I feel like, you know, and in my mind, that means everything has to be equal. Everything gets equal time. Everything gets equal attention. And I felt like a bad husband. I felt like a bad dad. I felt like a bad employee. I felt like a bad person because it felt like nothing was 
actually getting the attention that it deserved because I felt like everything needed more of me than I could give. You ever felt that way? Like there's just not enough of me to go around. Like if I could clone myself, it would be a great time to do this. And the problem was is I was trying to give everything equal when that, that's not even a, re, a reality. It's not even realistic expectation for that to be. But when I have priority and order, now it tells me, hey, number four, you're not going to get that much attention today because I got to take care of these three first. And until I've taken care of these three, I don't get to number four. Number six, you kind of like, you're out there on the edge. You may not get some love for a while, but you're number six. But see, number six can get real loud sometimes. Start barking, saying, oh, you, I need to, you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention. And so what? It, it, it's kind of like the old saying, the, the squeaky grease will, or the squeaky wheel will get the grease. You want to make sure that you're greasing the right things. Not the wrong things, not the loud things in our life. And we do that by establishing some order. And so if you've never done this, I would encourage you to write it out. Hey, here's my top five. Just start with five. Here's my top five. What's the most important thing? My relationship with God, my spouse, my family, my work comes after family. Like those are biblical priorities, you know? And so, you know, like I'll just, for me, kind of in my world, that means that church actually comes because church and God are not the same thing. Why? Because this is my life. Like this is what I do for a living, right? But so for me, it goes my relationship with God my wife, my kids, the church, then other things. Because my number four would be church. Your number four would probably be work. But there may be things that are more important to you right now in this season of life than even work. And so if you'll commit to writing them down, that helps you know. You can always go back and be like, you know, two months from now, you can say, Am I still following the order that I said in January? It's like, oh, I need to make an adjustment. This thing got a little loud over here, and I need to make the adjustment. You need to scoot back down to number six where you belong. You're not supposed to be in number three spot. You got, but if you'll write it down, it gives you something to go back to. And just keep it in a place where you have. And so we would be wise to do what? To order our lives as opposed to just living day by day. Just living by what comes. Whatever happens, whatever's loud today is going to get my attention. And then at the end of the day, you, you know, and what happens is, is that daily things may not shift massively. But when priorities get out of line for periods of longer periods of time, the fallout is massive. You know, you hear people talk about, well, we just fell out of love. You didn't fall out. You drifted. And drift takes time. And so, but again, that's where priority comes in. That's where these things matter. And so this is what we've been sharing over these last couple of weeks. And so, you know, we've been talking about these things. And so I'm going to share one quick thought with you because uh, this is just in our culture. And I don't want to spend much time on this, but I thought it was just, uh, I do want to mention it. And I don't want to let the moment pass. But, you know, one of the things, and everybody says this, I'm as guilty as anybody. And I've been trying to break the habit of even saying this when people are like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. We all say it, and the truth is we are busy. Maybe it's time to break up with busy. Maybe it is. I mean, it's why. Because busy is too far up the list. Maybe it's time to say, hey, there's some things and some activities and things in my life that really aren't producing anything. They're just wasting energy, time, all these things. And so busy, we're going to break up. Here's your letter. Here you go. We're going to break up today. Like, I'm done being busy. I want to be productive. 
And sometimes busy will keep you from being productive. They are not the same things. And so we can get so much going many times. And so if you need to write that breakup letter, you go ahead and write it. And you go ahead and send that text. And, you know, it's okay to break up with busy over text. And, uh, but you know what I'm saying? So anyhow, so this morning, though, I really want to share with you. That's just, that's a message I would preach, but I ain't got time to preach it. And, uh, but, so there you go. There's my message in two minutes. And, um, but today I want to share with you uh, about the, this thought and the priority of think first. Last week I shared with you about uh, truth first and really about the importance of God's word in our life. And this really kind of picks up on that message. So that's why we did it in these order, in the order here. Um, because, and we've been saying this every week, is what? Because order matters. Thinking is a huge role in our life experience as well. And so our mind plays a massive, massive, maybe one of the largest roles in our experience in our day-to-day life. I think sometimes we, we think that there are pressures from outside things that shape our world. And the truth is, it's actually our thought life and our thinking life that actually shapes the world and even how we see and experience day-to-day life. And so, you know, there's, God has given us a mind We are a three-part being. The Bible tells us we are a spirit. That's the eternal real part of you. It will last forever. You have a mind which consists of your mind, your thoughts, your will, and your emotion. But they all come from one place. This little three, four-pound thing that rattles around in our brain, hopefully not rattling too much. But but it's this little mass, and, and yet it, what? And so God has given us a mind, and we are to use it. God expects us to use it. He didn't create anybody stupid. He gave you a mind, but he also expects us to maintain that mind, to take care of our mind. Now, you may have some people in mind right now that you're like, I don't know. They might qualify for that that stupid part, but that God never designed anybody for that. He gave us a mind to use for our benefit for our blessing, but also for the blessing of others. But we are to maintain it. And so the mind, a very simple definition would be this. It's the center of our reasonings, our ponderings, our decisions, and our thought processes. So it's our intellect. It's the thing that we use. It's also, there's, you know, there's, a, there's two sides of your brain, left and right brain. One side is intellectual, factual. One side is artistic. So some people use more of one side. You know, my mom's left-handed, which left-handed people use the right side of their brain, so she always makes the joke, I'm in my right mind all the time. And, uh, you know, and so, yeah, it's a terrible joke. And, uh, but she, she said it my whole life. And, uh, and she thinks it's hysterical every time. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, but, but there are. You have two centers, two sides, but they operate and function differently. But we are to maintain both sides of that. One of them, if you're more creative and artsy, of that type of thing. Like my wife is more artsy than me. I'm more mechanical. I'm more like numbers and all that kind of stuff. So we operate on totally different, predominantly, not all the time, but predominantly we operate out of two different sides of our brains. But yet both of us have to maintain both sides of our own thought life, our own brain. And so we've got to do this. And so, you know, there's a, and what happens, and, and this is, and we're going to, so we're going to talk about this this morning, but I just want to give you a, a, a phrase or a, a thought, is that many times we can get into trouble in our thoughts because we're idle. We're just kind of open to whatever comes. Well, that's not, not really wise. 
there's a, an old phrase that says, an idle mind is the devil's playground. Why? Because if you ain't thinking about nothing, he's going to give you something to think about. He's going to make sure that he's going to give you what he wants you thinking about. And, and, but that is not what the Bible tells us. Is that we are to what? Be disciplined even in our thought life. I shared this verse last week, but I'll share it again. It comes out of Romans 12, chapter, or chapter 12, verse 2, out of the Passion Translation. It says, stop imitating the ideas and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. So be inwardly, mentally transformed by the Holy Spirit through the total reformation of how you think. Now, we don't use that word reformation. Let me give you another word that you all understand, remodel. Remodel your brain. I don't like what is, so I need to go in there and do some demo, which is fun. I like demo day. I don't know a man alive that doesn't like demo day. But sometimes you need to what, go in and tear down some things so that you can rebuild something better. I mean, that is the goal of remodel, right? Hopefully when you're done, it's better than when you started. Well, we need to do that in our minds sometimes. We need to remodel the thoughts that we think the way that we think, the processes, the lens by which, the filter by which we see the world. And yet the Bible says is that we can be uh, transformed inwardly by the Holy Spirit, by the what? The remodeling of how we think. And it says this will empower you to discern or to recognize God's will. When you change, when you remodel the way you think, what? It helps you recognize, understand, see God's purpose for your life. But it's only going to happen when what? When we, get our, when we get our thoughts in line with what God's will is for our life. God has a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. We would say that it is God's will for your life. So if God has a will, you might need to find out what it is. It's pretty important, actually. One of our parts of our vision is what? So that you can discover your purpose. It's important. Why? Because you ain't here by accident. You're here by design. And it's massively important that you take that seriously. It's not just by, well, it's just here, there, or whatever. No, no, no. You are much more important than you're giving yourself credit for. But the only way for us to do this is what? To get our thought life where it needs to be. And so a reality is, is that you'll never be able to change the way you think until you begin to change the words that you speak. And so we're going to spend a lot of time this morning talking about this. I say a lot of time. The majority of my time I'm going to be talking with you about this. Is that you'll never change the way you think until you change the words that you speak. You're like, yeah, but I thought the Bible says out of the abundance of my heart the mouth speaks. Yes, but you are the loudest, most consistent voice in your own life. So no one speaks to you more than you. And if you are speaking, so what happens? The Bible says, Romans 10, 17, faith or belief comes by hearing. Now, that's talking about faith in God's word. It comes by hearing the word of God. Okay, well, faith or what you believe to be true is what comes by your hearing. There's only a couple ways you can be influenced. Your eyes, your ears, and your taste. Technically, somewhat your smell, but not primarily. Why? Because your eyes see something. Your ears hear something. Your mouth can taste things. You're like, well, that's good. I didn't think it was good at all. I thought it was horrible. But that's an experiential thing. It's how we experience. But yet we live, we don't just live among our five senses. Is that what? There's a whole other dimension that's at work for us as well. 
And so even as we begin to speak, what happens is we begin to stir up God's word in our life. And so it's not just enough to just know God's word. We have to what? Put God's word into our mouth and begin to speak God's word. There's a verse in Isaiah that says that that God promises my word will not return to me void. But it will accomplish that which I sent it to do. We say, well, what do you mean? How does God's word return to him when I begin to speak it? He sent it to me, and when I begin to say it, it's going back to the Lord. And he says, hey, it's going to, when you begin to speak my word, when you begin to declare my word, it's going to produce the thing that I said it would. And that's a powerful truth. See, what we think on, what we meditate, is what goes into our heart. Because, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Okay, well, how do things get into our heart? It's what we think about. It's what we say. The more you talk, let me just, even not, just say that, I'll take Alex's example. Let's just say that Alex has got a problem. And he just keeps coming and talking to me and talking to me and talking to me about his problem. Right? You know, the more he talks to me about it, the more he discusses it, the more convinced that he becomes that he's right. He may not be. But the more that he talks about it, the more convinced he comes. It may not change me at all. I may still say, Alex, I think you're 100% wrong. But he's actually more convinced the more he's talked about it. And that's true for all of us. Well, it's not just outside talk. The more we think about it, the more we are convinced that what we think is right. What we talked about last week, you can't trust yourself. Why? Because the heart, the Bible says, is deceitfully wicked. So we can't trust our own thoughts. We can't trust our own reasonings. But see, what we truly believe, just as I said with Alex, what happens is is he comes to a conclusion. He is thoroughly convinced. Well, guess what he's going to start doing? He's going to begin to act and talk according to what he believes. That's true for all of us. We will act and think based off of what we believe, even if it's completely off. Why? Because we have become convinced. You know, the Bible actually talks about that we could deceive ourselves. It means we could fool ourselves. How do we do that? Through our thought life. Because we're constantly thinking, 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 meditating, pondering on these things that we believe that they're real. And sometimes they are. And sometimes we can look at it and say, yeah, but this is reality. Yeah, but I also serve a God who can change my reality. And my circumstances don't have to stay what they are, but how do I begin to change my world to bring it in line with God's word? Hebrews tells me that I can frame my world with the word of God. So I'll begin to declare God's word over my circumstances, over my situations, and they will begin to shift and change. Why? Because I, I chose to begin to speak and begin to believe a truth different than what my senses will tell me. What I see with my eyes, what I hear with my ears. This isn't just like pie in the sky kind of talk. This is, no, I'm standing on God's word and God is good and he's committed to his word. He's committed to me. You know, in the natural, I, I was very fortunate and I realize this is not the norm in today, but I have a very good father, natural father. He's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But my dad is still engaged in my life. He's probably one of the closest people to me right now in my life. I realize I'm extremely fortunate for this. 
But the thing is, is that I trust my natural father. I really do. Even if I don't agree with him, I trust him. I have no doubt about his intentions for me. Not one little doubt. I trust him in my life. I have no doubt that he loves me. I have no doubt that he wants the best for me. But I also know he is human. And he is fallible. In other words, he can screw up. He's not perfect. Which is one of the reasons I respect him the most. Because he would come to me and say, David, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Don't do that. Now, I think my mom had to probably cattle prod him to (laughs) come and do that. But it taught me that it was okay to say I was wrong. It taught me that it was okay to not be perfect, even though I struggled with that for a long, long, long time. So if I can trust my natural father, why would I expect any less from a perfect, infallible, loving, heavenly father? If I can have that kind of faith in my dad, and I realize some of you... You're like, I got no faith in my dad. Like, I got no connection to that. This is what I can tell you, is God has nothing good, nothing but good for you. I mean, we see it on placards, and a lot of people at graduation get these things. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're for good and not evil, to bless you and to, pro- to give you a what? A hope and a future. If it's good, it's from God. It's real simple. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If it's bad, it's the devil. If it's good, it's from God. And so, you know, but these are things that we have to, what? Deal with and, and these thoughts and because the enemy will come and, and say, you know, the Bible actually says, talk about the power of words. It says that because so many times it'll be, like, oh, the devil's after me. Actually, he's not. He's in heaven. You're like, what do you mean he's in heaven? The Bible says he's in the, at the throne of God continually, and they call him the accuser of the brethren. He's actually accusing us to God all the time. You're like, God wouldn't allow that. Yeah, but Jesus is sitting right there as the attorney. It's like a courtroom. And Jesus said, nope, that's already been taken care of. That's already been taken care of. Nope, I motioned to move that away. Because my blood paid for that. So even the enemy is constantly talking. What? What? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't influences. I'm not saying that there's not demonic work. Yes, but we have to recognize these things. So Paul in Philippians gives us some some instructions, and he says, starting in verse 6, and this has everything to do with our thoughts. Keep that in mind. He says, don't worry about anything. What's worry? Worry is an anxious thought. That's what worry is. Actually, worry is an anxious thought that we hit on repeat, you know. Just over and over and over and over. Here's the thing about an anxious thought. The more thought that you give it, the more anxious you get. It doesn't stop that from even, it just gets louder and louder. Why? Because it's like taking the volume knob and you just turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. So our problems get bigger and God gets smaller. That's the way that works. It happens in our mind. And he says, don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. He says, instead, pray about everything. Why? Because you're reminding yourself and your problem who God is. But it's important that you're not just left to your own thoughts and your own 
ideas. No, you want to get God's word, which is the truth of God's word, and you want to begin to pray that. So in your life, it goes on. It says, tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Why do you need to thank God? Because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did for you last year, he'll do again for you today. What he did for you 10 years ago, he'll do again today. Why? Because he doesn't change. And when we remind ourselves of what God has done, it reminds us of what he will do. God, I thank you. I had a victory. I'm going to get another victory. I was overwhelmed, but I got some peace. So his, his character, his nature actually builds faith in us. But it says, and it's so important, it says, so don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all that he has done. And then, so once you've done these things, then. So, so many times we want the second part of this verse. We just don't want to do the first part, which is to go to God, connect with God. Then what? Something happens. You will experience God's peace which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard our hearts and our minds. His peace will guard our thoughts. So anytime that we're anxious, you need to go get a scripture. Why? Because peace will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. I mean, Proverbs says, guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because that's the direction. That's where you're headed. Says his peace, God's peace will guard our hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Before Jesus left, he told the disciples, my peace, the very peace that I have, I'm giving to you. I'm giving you my peace, not like a secondary version, like the very peace. When you read the book of Psalms, that same word is shalom. And you'll see it over and over and over throughout the book of Psalms. It's the peace that comes from God. And here it says that it goes beyond all of your reasonings. Beyond all, like sometimes your mind is going to say, you should be freaking out a little more. Nope. Because I know the one in whom I believed. Whom should I be afraid? Whom should I fear? God is not just with me. He's ahead of me. The Bible says that he would what be a guard in my front, on my sides, and even on the, my backside. God has surrounded me with his favor. Why would I be nervous? Sometimes you need to tell yourself things like that. I have no reason to be nervous. Why? Because I have a good father who loves me, who wants nothing for the best for me. And just as we were singing earlier, I know that you are up to something good in my life. I may not know what it is. I may not can see it. I'm ready for the surprise. So let's just pop out the cake already. Let's do it. But God, I know that you're up to something good in my life. And it's being what thoroughly convinced that God's word is truth above everything else. He goes on here. The apostle Paul continues to write and he says, and now dear brothers, one final thing, one parting shot, fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts. Predetermine what you're going to think about. Fix your thoughts. It's like, nope, I'm not going to, because what happened, and I said this earlier, is that we can drift when we're not intentional. And God is saying, go ahead and predetermine what you will and will not think about. Why? Because you want to think first. You've got a brain. God expects you to use it. You have a will. God expects you to use it. It's a weapon that God has given us. No, my will is to what? Live according to God's word. That's my desire. 
That's really what the wheel is. It's your desire. It's what you want. My, why? Because I believe the truth of God's word, and I believe that it produces life in me. Therefore, I'm going to stick with the word. So when circumstances arise and I get sucker punched out of nowhere and a situation comes, I'm like, well, how do I respond? I've already determined how I'm going to respond. My will is to stick with God's word. So now my will is, that thought comes and says, oh man, this is going to take you out. Nope, God is still in control. This hadn't moved God. I mean, he didn't even rock the, the throne that he sits on. He ain't stressed in the least, so why should I be? You're like, well, I just, Pastor, I don't know if that's possible. I'll tell you what, go do a little Bible study, and you bring me a scripture where you find that Jesus was stressed about anything. If you can find that scripture, I'll discuss it with you. Until then, I'm going to stick with God's word because I had not found it yet. And Jesus faced all kinds. I mean, hello, the cross. I mean, you would think in the garden when he's praying, knowing what's coming, you would think he would have stressed a little bit. And the Bible does say that he prayed and he was under duress. Yeah, but what did he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. If there's, an, if there's another way, let's go that route. But if not, that's what I came to do. But you don't see this. And so it says, fix your thoughts on what is true. What is true? We talked about this last week. True is God's word. If you weren't here, you'll have to go listen to the message. I'm not re-preaching it, but think on things that are true, that are honorable, that are right, that are pure and lovely and admirable. He says, think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Think on these things. Fix your thoughts. Predetermine it. The message translation says, I'd say that you'd do best by filling your minds and meditating on things. Filling your mind and meditating. 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 Why? Because we, you know, it's just like we drive around in cars and guess what? Every now and then you got to go to the gas station. Why? Because you, you consumed it. Okay, so you got to refill with God's word. You need to remind yourself sometimes of God's word in your life so that you can think on God's word. Sometimes we don't, God's word doesn't come up in our life because we've not actually made it the priority that it needs to be. Therefore, our thoughts don't actually line up and come. And God's word doesn't come when circumstances arise. But if we will have a consistent diet, a consistent influx of God's word, what will happen is you're going to get in a circumstance, in a situation, and all of a sudden you're going to go, where did that scripture come from? I don't remember reading that. No, but it was in that daily discipline of God's word in your life. All of a sudden those scriptures are going to begin to, to pop up in your life. And now what? It's a weapon in your hand. You go read Ephesians 6. It talks about the spiritual armor. Every part of the armor is defensive but one, and that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So if you want to play defense against the devil, don't worry about this. I don't like playing defense. Typically, you play defense to not lose. I want to play offense to win. Right? I mean, we just watched LSU, what, put on some offense, and they won a game. Glad our defense showed up too, but... It don't matter if you got an offense or a defense that nobody can score on. If you can't score no points either, what good is it? Oh, we broke it a tie. It's the worst thing in sports, by the way. 
whoever's idea that was, I like the, like the gladiator model. It's like fight to the death. I mean, somebody's got to win. Two of us can't leave. Like only one can walk out. So as I've shared, I'm a little competitive, but thought this was an interesting quote that I found a couple weeks ago, actually, but it says most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. Most of your unhappiness is that you are listening to yourself, not talking to yourself. So we can take that principle and we can say it this way. So when thoughts come, because they will come that don't line up with God's word, start declaring God's truth over yourself and over every situation. You got to start speaking to yourself. Start talking to yourself. Say it out loud. You're like, well, I just say it between me and the Lord. Start saying it out loud. Say it in the car. Why? Because you need to hear yourself. You need to hear your own voice begin to speak God's word. Why? Because it's going to get into your heart. Joe McGee, who's been here uh, a, a couple of times, he actually sent me an email, and some of this was on it yesterday, and I thought, oh, that's so appropriate. And uh, I already had my message written and everything. I thought, oh, that's good. I'm going to add that in. And, uh, but he, he said this in my email that I got yesterday. He says, wrong thinking isn't a one-time deal. It's a pattern. Wrong thinking isn't a one-time deal. It's a pattern. In order to break the pattern, you have to establish habits of right thinking. What is right thinking? Think upon God's word. Whatever things are true, fix your thoughts on these things. See, we have to protect our mind with peace. Now, sometimes we can have maybe a little bit of a skewed view of what peace is. Like, let me give you an example of this. A number of years ago, I was studying about the armor of God. And one of the things that it says is that we are what? Have our feet shod with the preparation of peace. Well, sometimes we think peace is like (laughs) tiptoeing. Let's be real quiet. Okay, well, if you actually understand the Roman soldier, they wore cleats with spikes on them. So you come at me and it's like, and they would kill people by kicking them. So peace is not just passive. So let me, so, so we have to protect our mind with peace. Why? Because peace from the Holy Spirit will subdue. It will actually subdue things. That word subdue means to overcome, to quiet, to bring under control. It means to overpower or to overcome. So subduing with peace is not this passive like, oh, well, you know, just keep everything tranquil and everything's going to be great. No, no, it means, hey, you come at me, I got some cleats on that are nasty. So come on, devil, but, you know, uh, you remember the, uh, this is an old movie reference, but it's funny. I always think about it, but it, how many remember the movie Nutty Professor when they're all sitting there at the table and the grandma's like, you know, they're all jabbering back and forth and grandma says, you might walk over here, but you're going to limp back. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, one of the greatest movie lines of all time, in my opinion. And, uh, but we should have that approach with the, with the devil. Come on, whatever you want to send my way, that's fine. But hey, you're going to be limping, not me. Because I'm going to rise above it. And so what happens is that peace doesn't mean, or, or having peace doesn't mean that we run away from situations and circumstances. It means that we subdue those circumstances with our peace. Jesus modeled this and showed us this when he stood up in the middle of our hurricane and said to the wind and the waves, peace be still. And what happened? It became calm. What happened? He actually subdued the wind and the waves with his 
words. He didn't just stand up and say, I am God. He said, peace, be still. What he actually did was he transmitted the peace on the inside of him into that environment. So you may work in a, in a situation, an environment that's chaotic. Well, guess what? You have the peace of God on the inside of you. And you ought to start praying, Father, I thank you. Before I walk in this door, before I even touch the door handle, I got peace on the inside of me, and I'm taking peace right in the middle of that chaos, and things are going to calm down in Jesus' name. That's what I'm talking about as opposed to, oh, my gosh, I hate this job. It's the worst job. People are terrible. What are you saying? You have authority over the environments in which you exist. But you've got to begin to declare some different things. You've got to begin to speak some different things. I know we've got some teachers in the room. Y'all need to start speaking over your classrooms. Amen. Foolishness, don't come in my room. My kids listen. They're attentive. They obey. You ought to start praying over your classroom. Everybody be like, man, kids don't act up in your room. You're dang right they don't because I done prayed. I got angels in all four corners. I done, I done put oil on the door and the windows. I mean, you know, we anointed this room. I've anointed their desk, you know. I mean, why? Because you ain't careful. You'll think you got some demons in your classroom. They're just students. But I'm just saying, I mean, but what? I mean, but there is, but I am, I mean, I, I'm saying jokingly, but I'm serious. Look, my family, the house I grew up in, we moved into a new house when we were, um, when I was about five or six years old. My parents began to fight like cats and dogs for about two years. Like, I mean, they fought before, but it was unusual. Well, finally, my parents made the decision. And I remember we all stood out in the carport of the house and took some vegetable and we put it on the door. And I remember, I was probably like eight, and I'm thinking, what are we doing? But we prayed. And we said, whatever's going on in our house, it's broken in the name of Jesus. So that spirit left. Well, 20 years later, when my parents sold the house, the neighbors told them, you're the first family that sold that house that it wasn't because of a divorce. So you can't tell me this stuff isn't real. And I was raised in that house. And I was gone before my parents sold it. They lived in there for over 20 years. The three previous owners had all sold it because of a divorce. If you're in business and business is struggling, you need to begin to speak God's word over your business. I got favor. Everybody else's sales may be tanking, but man, I got favor. God, you're opening up doors for me. You're giving me relationships with the right people at the right time. You're opening the right doors for me. You're giving me unique ideas that are going to help our company. You need to begin to declare those things. Why? Because words have power. So we have to, what, subdue things, and we do this because we can trust God's promises, but we can also trust his character. That's why we can have confidence. So we need to be speaking God's word. Now, I gave you one of these little cards. I got it from somebody else. Man, I didn't have to make it. Even better. It's from a book I read a number of years ago. But it's 12 daily faith confessionals. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but just a couple. But you would do well to get up and speak some of these every day. I like the first one. It says, I am fully forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. You should have had one of these in your seat today when you came in. I am fully forgiven and free. I like number two, just because it stirs me up, and I'm a faith guy. So it says, I act in audacious faith to change the world around me in my generation. 
I mentioned about teachers praying over your classroom. People might think it's funny. It's an audacious faith. They're going to think it's funny until your classroom changes and there's still chaos. And they're going to be like, hey, can I, can I get one of them little cards? <laughs> you know, you've been saying, can I, can I just get one of those? It'd be great. <laughs> could you just like, could you pray for my room? <laughs> you know, I mean, number three, I have no fear or anxiety. I trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And it's just, it's got all of them. I don't want to, you got it, so I don't need to read them all. But man, there's some awesome things in there. And you begin, why? Because there's no more influential voice in your life than your own. Revelations tells us in, in chapter 12, verse 11, it says that they overcame him being us, the children of God, that they overcame Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We were singing it today is that God, even you're working when I can't see those things happening. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 tells us that death and life are actually in our words. Out of the Passion Translation, says, Your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life. And the talkative person will reap the consequences. Now, typically, we think of consequences that are bad, but how many of you know sometimes there's good consequences too? And there are good consequences for what? Speaking God's word and lining up our life with God's word. And as we begin to speak those things, there are good consequences. And so what? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Go read James chapter 3. It talks about this quite a bit. It gives us instructions on how and what we should be saying. It's important. Why? Because words are incredibly powerful. Just think about the time that somebody said something to you that hurt you. I would rather somebody just come and punch or kick me than the weight of words that have been said. I mean, we used to make the phrase, oh, sticks and stones, my bait bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie. What a, I mean, it's the dumbest thing ever in human history to say. It's there. That's it. That's my opinion. You know, I started off today or earlier, and I, but I'm going to repeat it because I really want you to get it, is that you'll never be able to change the way you think until you begin to change the way that you speak. Your words matter. See, the Bible actually tells us, and you can read this if you want to go study it yourself or you can just trust that I did, but I did study this a number of years ago, but it changed my understanding of the power of my words. It comes out of Genesis 2, and it says, when God said, let us make man in our image, I went and started studying that. What does that really mean? And it actually meant that God created man as a speaking spirit, a creative spirit. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke. The only exception is when it came to man, it said that he formed him. So I like to think of it this way. God took a little extra time making us. Everything else he spoke, light be, earth be, animals be. I mean, just, why? Because there was creativity, there was power. There was energy released when he spoke. Our universe is still expanding. We can't keep up. We get to see small glimpses of it. And every time they think they get to the end, they find more, and they find more, and they find more. I'm of the opinion that our universe is still expanding because God didn't say stop. And it won't stop until he says, okay, you can stop expanding now. The Bible doesn't tell me he ever said stop, so 
Why would I believe that it did? See, words have creative power. They'll either produce blessing or the things that you really don't want. Parents, you need to be speaking what you want in your kids, not what you don't. You need to be speaking what? That you believe in them, not that they're stupid. Because guess what? Every time you tell them they're stupid, guess what they're going to be convinced of? God made me stupid. But if they come to you and say, you got a bad grade, hey, you can do this. God's on the inside of you. We're going to help you. We're going to come alongside of you. It's amazing the power of just speaking the right things. There's a phrase that I've heard one of my friends, and his dad was a pastor, and uh, that he shared with me a, a number of times, but it came to mind as I was working on my notes and getting things together, but it's an easy thing to remember is what you say is coming your way. What you say is coming your way. Man, we need to be mindful of that because if that's true, I need to adjust some of the things I say. There's things that I'm like, I don't want that coming my way, so I shouldn't be saying it then. And so I need to adjust that in my own life. See, we've been created in that, the image and the, the likeness of God that we have creative power in our words. So here's my charge to you. Let's declare God's promises over our lives. Let's begin to speak God's word over our lives and everything that we have influence over. Why? Because you can change that environment. Why? By thinking right, by thinking first, not just existing. No, think. God gave you a brain. He expects you to use it. Make some decisions. Nope. I mean, Joshua, as for me and my house, hey, we're going to serve the Lord. This is what we've decided. But if you'll do this, you'll begin to watch God work as we continue to walk it out. Because it's